Hello, listeners, and welcome to a very special episode of the Climate Ready Podcast. As many of you know, the world's biggest climate change conference is taking place right now in Madrid, Spain. The United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change is holding its 25th annual Conference of the Parties, or COP25 for short. Each year, the water community is actively engaged in the events and negotiations. For this special episode of Climate Ready, we're rebroadcasting a live interview from a few days ago in the Facebook Live studio in Madrid. The event was led by some familiar voices, Ingrid Timbo, one of Climate Ready's hosts, who also serves as Agua's policy director, and John Matthews, Agua's executive director and the producer for Climate Ready. They talk with colleagues from the International Water Management Institute, or EMI. Dr. Mark Smith is EMI's deputy director general, and Dr. Rachel McDonald is strategic program director for water, climate change, and resilience. The four of them talk about the integral role of water in climate change solutions and actions, as well as a newly launched background paper on water prepared for the Global Commission on Adaptation. Stick around for another Climate of Hope segment from Stephanie Woodworth as part of our partnership with the World Youth Parliament for Water. Enjoy! Climate Ready is a product of AGWA, the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation, an international members-based NGO working across technical and policy programs to mainstream resilient water resources management, focusing on the connections between water resources and climate adaptation and mitigation. The Climate Ready podcast is made possible with support from Deutsche Gesellschaft für Internationale Zusammenarbeit, or GIZ, on behalf of the German Federal Ministry for Economic Cooperation and Development, BMZ. For more information on GIZ, visit www.giz.de. Climate Ready would also like to acknowledge the continued support of the Water Global Practice of the World Bank. For more information on the World Bank's activities around water, visit worldbank.org water. Good morning, everyone. This is Ingrid Timbo from the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation coming to you live from COP25. And we uh, at the Alliance have a special uh, edition of our podcast, the Climate Ready Podcast, that we are doing today live from the COP with some special guests. And I also have a special co-host as well today. So before we kind of get into our discussion about why our guests from the International Water Management Institute are here at the COP, I wanted to give the opportunity of everyone to introduce themselves. So first, I have my special co-host for today, the Executive Director of the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation, John Matthews. Good morning. And we also have Mark Smith from EMI as well. Do you want to introduce yourself briefly? Sure. Thanks, Ingrid. I'm the Deputy Director General at, at EMI, based yep. in Colombo, Sri Lanka. Great. And joining uh, Mark, we also have Rachel McDonald from EMI. Good morning, Ingrid. I'm Rachel McDonald. I'm the Strategic Program Director for Water, Climate Change and Resilience, based in our Rome office, but very much bringing together the global um, thoughts on water and climate change for EMI. Excellent. So yeah, so the basic premise for those of you who aren't aware uh, of the Climate Ready podcast is we talk to leading edge uh, decision makers, policy makers, and others who are working to solve our most pressing water and climate adaptation problems. 
We've been doing this for about three seasons now. We've got a little over 25 interviews already done. And so we've talked to a variety of different individuals, but I don't think Emi has ever been on the podcast before. So this is a first for us. Um, and it's also the first live one that we've done from a cop. And so we thought today we allow Emi to give a little bit of background about their organization, what they are working on, what they kind of hope to achieve here at the COP this week, and also to talk a little bit more about um, some other initiatives, including the Global Commission on Adaptation and the work that we've been doing on water and climate change with them. Anything else you want to add, John, to that? No, that's a good list. Okay. Do you want to go ahead and ask the first question? <laughs> um, so, International Water Management Institute, Emi, can you talk a little bit about uh, where you're based, why you're based there, and, and uh, the kind of basic nature of your work? Sure. No, thank you, John, and thank you, Ingrid, and thank you to Agua for, um, for including us Absolutely. now in this process and in, in this podcast, and uh, really grateful for that. IMI is, uh, is the International Water Management Institute. We're based in, in Sri Lanka. We've been in operation for coming close to 40 years. Um, our headquarters are in, in Colombo for kind of a historical accident, but, but really based upon as the international community in the 70s and 80s recognized that one of the key issues around food security and, and agriculture was to uh, make sure that irrigation was working well and as productive as it could be. And so the international community was looking for a, for a home, and Sri Lanka said, well, we have a long 2,000-year history in irrigation, so yeah. we'll host this institute. So that's why IMI is based there. Since then, since the founding of, of IMI, IMI joined the CGIAR, which is a network of 15 sister institutes that work on food and natural resource and agricultural uh, management and productivity issues. But we've also really expanded what we do from just to focus on irrigation into water resources at large. And we have 13 offices around the world, one in Rome, one in Sri Lanka, and then 11 spread across, one in the United States, and then across uh, Africa and across uh, Asia and uh, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Central Asia. So I heard uh, you give a presentation in uh, Stockholm at World Water Week this last summer, and I was really struck that EMI's made a, a real shift in your overall strategy and how you think about climate change as a, as a kind of central part of your, your mission now. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, one of the things that's really key to understand about IMI and about this network of centers that I mentioned is that we do research for development. And that for development part is really important. So, so our science, we're based on science, but to deliver on, what, what, on our mandate, what we're supposed to do, we need to drive impact. Right. And so as we looked at a new strategy for IMI in the last year, we said, well, we need to be relevant. We need to be delivering into the big mega challenges in the world of which climate change is clearly one. And water is, is, a, is a key issue, both in terms of climate vulnerability, but also in terms of the actions you need to take yes. um, to adapt to climate change, as you, as you of course well know. So in order for IMI to be relevant, we needed to make sure that, that our work on climate was highly visible, that we were well positioned within the, within the global dialogue, within the global processes, within national action, making sure that we're delivering uh, good science and technical knowledge into the networks that can then drive impact locally and nationally and, and through policy processes like this one here uh, globally. Yeah. Well, and you've used a lot of uh, really important keywords. You've talked about the importance of science uh, to, to your work, to your mission, recognizing that climate change is, is both a really critical threat and potentially a major driver and possible solution too. I'm curious why, as a more technical organization working with farmers, maybe aquaculture as well, like, why are you at the COP? Why are you in Madrid 
this is a world that, that most of the people here, probably 80% of them, are focused on climate mitigation issues, greenhouse gases, not much about water, and not that much about adaptation. Well, maybe the starting point for answering that is, I think it's clear to the world that we need to have a, a clear focus and, and really sharp agenda on adaptation. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the headlines around the world in the last month, two months, six months, are it's increasingly clear, not just to people like us, I hope, but to the broader public, to the broader climate policy community, the broader agricultural community, that adaptation is really important. And once you start talking about adaptation, you immediately start talking about floods, droughts, extreme precipitation, melting of glaciers, sea level rise, salinization, and those are all issues that are technical work yeah. at different scales within IMI. Those are all issues that we work on and that we address and that we help farmers, but also basin organizations and countries to develop and deliver solutions on. So we need to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Is this your first COP, Rachel? No, was in Marrakesh. Oh, you were, okay, okay. How have things changed, do you feel, since since? So when I was in Marrakesh, I was working for an organization that was very much based on the Middle East, North Africa. Okay. And of course, the challenges of climate change there are huge. Yes. Growing aridity, growing salinization, growing the increasing frequency of both droughts and floods. Yeah. And now here in Madrid, we're looking at a much more global, and the areas we work in, those offices, those core country areas that we work in. So in Central Asia, we are looking at changing snowmelt, changing yes. glaciers. We have transboundary rivers. We have high salinization issues there. In India, Nepal, uh, those countries in Asia, we're dealing with changes in the monsoon. Mm -hmm. um, in Africa, Southern Africa, we have changing droughts. And, and then in East Africa, we have those issues of linked to El Nino and the sharpening of that. West Africa, North Africa, all these areas we work in, we know we need to have you know, specific evidence to bring to both developing solutions, but also helping guide countries as they bring in their national adaptation mm -hmm. plans, their NDCs. We need to get water in there because it, it's cross, we're, we're dealing with mitigation. For example, solar energy, it needs water. Yep. All those biofuels, hydropower. All, all those, yeah, the hydro, yeah. hydroelectric uh, impacts of yeah. changing water regimes are yeah. huge. And so we need to make sure water is central to both mitigation and adaptation and that we can bring uh, more understanding of what climate change is going to do to the water systems. Yep. Because unless we have that, the investments, the policies, the technical solutions are not going to work. Right. So that's one of the reasons why we're here to make sure that people understand there is a knowledge there, there are solutions that we can bring. Yep, yep. And there's work already being done, Absolutely. you know, on the ground across, across the globe as well, so. And you've know. been working on climate change for a long time. So many of yeah. our, uh, our solutions are looking at, because of a change in climate, yeah. if you go and speak to a farmer anywhere, they don't need to have something coming out of a huge computer model. No. They know that their growing season yeah. has changed. Their exactly. rains are delayed by five weeks and they, you know, the summer season kicks in quicker. Yeah. They're already adapting. Maybe yeah. they can't grow wheat here anymore. They have to change to olives. Or, and this brings in all sorts of challenges to irrigation, supporting these uh, already changing adaptations that the, the key people we work with are already undertaking. Yeah, and you raise a really good point, especially for this COP, because we are transitioning now mm -hmm. into the implementation phase Absolutely. of Paris. So in the post-2020 era, everyone here, I mean, the COP is so focused now on solutions yeah. and accelerating action and not, you know, the time for negotiations is over. And we hear that over and over again from the negotiators. Mm -hmm. We need to be taking action now. And so that's why I think a lot of what you're talking about is so important because 
is those need to be brought to the cop and people need to understand that there are solutions, that things are happening on the ground. And some of those actions that we were able to showcase, we also need to understand the political, social and economic context yeah. in which they're working. We know there are technical solutions, but we need to know, make sure they're embedded in policies, that there are not counterproductive subsidies, yes. all sorts of our ideas that can actually, we need to work across both sort of the, the hard physical sciences, but also the social, economic, and political, economic sciences. And that's what governance. you bring. So governance, so important. <laughs> and, and our group of work on governance and gender uh, is yeah. particularly strong, and, and we're very much relying on them to help us develop solutions that are going to work. They're going to work in five years' time and 10 years' time. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I know we don't have a ton of time, but do we want to spend a minute talking about the well, adaptation? The yeah. yeah, let's talk. Uh, I, so I understand that you all have a special relationship with the Global Commission on Adaptation. Can you talk a little bit about how old it is? Is it part of the UNFCCC? Is it a more policy-oriented, more practice-oriented? Sure. So. Uh, the Global Commission on Adaptation is a process that was born outside of the COP process yeah. of the Climate Convention of the UN indeed. So it was uh, an initiative of I think the Netherlands government and others initially and the World Bank and so on and they said we need to stop talking yeah. and start delivering yeah. on adaptation and to not just build a implementation agenda but to build urgency around that implementation agenda. So they, they developed a, a process with a set of world leaders and that has produced an action agenda for the coming year, for, for 2020, on really mobilizing action and implementation on adaptation. And thankfully, uh, water's a big part of that action agenda, and there's a, what they call an action track for water, which IMI, as, alongside a, quite a number of institutions, yes. is, is really getting behind and support of and trying to contribute to really building momentum. Yes, uh, including in the coming year <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> And was water an, a natural part of the GCA? How was water strategically positioned inside of the Global Commission? My understanding is that in the initial cut for how they would construct the analytical base for this action agenda, they did not have water as one of the mm. key action areas. So there was a focus on food, a focus on rural, rural infrastructure, energy, cities, finance, etc. Nature-based solutions but not water. Yes. So with a certain amount of pushback and lobbying and arguing from, from that community of practice around the world that works on water, we were successful in making sure that water was part of that. And that led to collaboration between Agua and IMI uh, to produce a background paper on water for the Global Commission on Adaptation, which is now available. And we invite everybody to <laughs> go and look for that online on the, on the Agua website, on the IMI website, on the GCA website, and you can download that and learn how we turn the kind of issues that we've been talking about today into a really, actually a really positive action agenda for making sure that water is seen as, as a set of solutions for adaptation. What's one or two really big messages that you, either of you, uh, really took away from the process of putting together the report? Why is this report really special, potentially transformative in, in, in your mind? One of, one of my lessons, it was actually something you said in the process that as we wrote it, was that historically countries, this is what you said, countries have always matched, always aimed to match their institutions and their investments to their climate for water. And that's a pretty plain statement and you stop and you think about it and you say yeah okay that makes sense but then you go well wait a minute if we're not sure of 
the future climate and we're not sure of or we have more uncertainty around future hydrology, then what investments do we need and what institutions do we need? Right. And then you realize, well, actually, the whole historical way we've managed water is changing and we need to do it differently. Maybe, Rachel, you want to talk about the data challenge, which is also something we, we, we learned about more, at least I did personally, more about as we went through the process of developing that report. And it's one of those things you see that, that, that just aren't the data. So we have lots of climate change models, but we don't translate that into, what does that mean in terms of how much groundwater or how much water is available? We, we just don't know, so how are we supposed to develop adaptation plans and actions if we don't know that? So that's very much a key yeah. driver. Yeah. And, and I think one of the issues, when we talk about water, it's either the water utility sector or water for agriculture or water for nature. What I love about this report, it says, yes, it's highly complex, but we can bring it down to actionable levels across all those different areas, which is what we have to do to make sure climate, water and climate change are brought together. Well, Rachel and Mark, I want to thank you so much. I think we're about out of time, um, but it was super interesting to, to hear about what you guys are doing. And you know, I hope that uh, we can actually influence some of the actions that are happening both here at the COP, but also moving forward. Because really, you know, this is just one point in time and it's, it's really about what's going to happen over the next decade, two decades, et cetera. So thank you guys so much Very for good. joining thank us. You. And thank you uh, for joining us on Climate Ready as well. Well, that does it for the special COP25 interview from the UNFCCC Facebook Live Studio in Madrid. If you'd like to see the full video from the interview, we'll include a link in the episode description. To view or download the GCA water background paper discussed in the interview, you can visit www.adaptationsthirst.org. Before we wrap up, we've got another Climate of Hope segment highlighting both the detrimental effects of climate change and, more importantly, the hope-inspiring trends and initiatives to address them. We'll be hearing from Stephanie Woodworth, a PhD candidate in the Department of Geology, Environment, and Geomatics at the University of Ottawa. Before talking about how climate change impacts me and the peoples and places I care about, I must first acknowledge who I am and whose land sustains my life, relationships, work, and play. My name is Stephanie Woodworth. I am a white settler Canadian woman with English and German ancestors living as an uninvited guest on the territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg. My ways of knowing, thinking, being, and doing are rooted in the relationships with peoples, places, and ideas on this land, and I must maintain my accountability to these relationships. The project I am talking about today takes place on the territory of Decho First Nations, Degagoti, Klidlikwe, and Kagitu and it is made possible because of the relationships established between local First Nations in the Decho and Northern Water Futures, a multi-institutional project that works towards shared solutions for water in the North. Masi Cho, a big thank you to Kristen Tanche, who is the Resource Management Coordinator at Decho First Nations and my research partner. I could not speak to this without her. Indigenous people's knowledge base and livelihoods are rooted in the land, which allows for adaptation and survival in the face of socio-environmental changes and creates the foundation for their ways of knowing, being, and doing. However, as the climate rapidly changes, so are relationships with the land. Consequently, communities are depending less on the land for their livelihoods, and there's a great concern that youth are not learning the necessary skills and knowledge for survival on the land. 
over the long term, a generational decline of knowledge transfer decreases food and water security and weakens food sharing networks. Hence, it is essential that youth are educated about ongoing changes to be empowered to measure, monitor, and respond to ongoing impacts for the continuity of the local and traditional culture and knowledge. There's a large movement for the resurgence of Indigenous land-based education, where the central concern is reconnecting youth to the land and water. Indigenous peoples are leading land-based education programs across nations, such as Daycho First Nations, in the form of on-the-land camps. These camps create a space and place for youth to learn about the changes happening in their homelands through both local Indigenous knowledges and Western science. This space allows youth, community members, elders, and scientists to connect to the land, water, and each other and empower youth through two ways of knowing. For my PhD research, I am working with Daycho First Nations for these on-the-land camps. During the camps, I give the youth participants cameras to capture their experiences and we hold daily reflections to talk about their priorities and concerns for land-based education. Together, we are exploring how on-the-land camps create a space and place to connect youth to the land, their culture, knowledge, language, and traditional ways of life. And there is so much hope for the future within these youth. As this podcast segment is called Climate of Hope, I'd like to end with a poem that I wrote called Restoriation, which is about finding ways to restore our relationships with Mother Earth. Stories are carved, etched, and rooted in the rocks, rivers, and trees. We must open our mind, body, and spirit to the teachings blowing in the wind and flowing through the waters. That seems like a great note for us to go ahead and end on. Thanks to all four of our earlier contributors joining us from Madrid. Ingrid and John, as well as Mark Smith and Rachel McDonald. Also a big thanks to Stephanie Woodworth for her Climate of Hope contribution. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and follow us on Twitter using at ClimateReadyPod for the latest updates. Until next time, everyone. The Climate Ready Podcast is produced by John Matthews of the Alliance for Global Water Adaptation. It is directed and edited by Alex Maroner and Ingrid Timbo.